We're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And if you're guests with us, we just go through a book of the Bible, and we're, you happen to have joined us when we're in Galatians, and we're going to uh, just read the next spot we are. So we're at Galatians chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 12, and then talking about those that passage. Because we believe the word of God is the power to transform a life. The power that changes the way we think, it renews our mind, it, it's the sincere milk of the word, it builds our spirit up, our soul, as uh, Brother Jim was talking about, it's food for our soul. So that's why we just go through the word and talk about the word of God. Galatians chapter 5. Verses 1 through 12. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this? For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would be would emasculate themselves. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So in the previous passage in Galatians, the Apostle Paul expressed his bewilderment at how eagerly they received his message but now, short time later, they're accepting this whole different teaching from these Jewish teachers, Jewish Christians, who were flattering them and trying to gain favor with them. Would obedience to Jewish laws cause God to love them any more? Any more than he already did? Did the sacrifice of Jesus need anything added to make them acceptable to God? Do we today realize that Jesus' sacrifice has made us righteous in the sight of God, while at the same time, we are being sanctified? Listen to how the author of Hebrews expressed this wonderful truth. He says in Hebrews 10, 14, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Amen, amen. So you, you have this, uh, it's kind of like, uh, only almost like an oxymoron. You're perfected, but you're being sanctified. In Christ, we are perfected for all time. Realizing this truth doesn't cause us to
to be lax towards sin. On the contrary, it causes us to desire to live holy lives. Or as Paul wrote in another letter, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In the previous chapter, Paul taught that all who are in Jesus are sons of the promise. <laughs> and we talked about, uh, just like Isaac was, we talked about how that includes women too, because sons were the heirs. So it's a good thing that all of us are considered sons of God, but we're also the bride of Christ. So you, you kind of see this, uh, uh, again, this, the, these metaphors are meant to, to warm our hearts, not get us upset about gender things. Jesus' truth has given us freedom from the demands of the law, but not from moral boundaries to do whatever we please. It's a freedom from bondage to sin and the accompanying guilt. We are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, as slaves of righteousness. We are free to serve Jesus by the Spirit rather than by ritual and rules. To try to keep all the Jewish ceremonial and civil rules was to go back into slavery. Paul's emphasis here is not so much to set our will free from bondage of sin as it is to set our conscience free from the guilt of sin. It's the freedom of acceptance with God and of access to God through Christ. We should therefore be standing firm, as he's saying here in this first verse, in freedom. We should be continually rejoicing in the fact that our debt is paid in full. And, and that's actually what that word that Jesus uttered, the last word he uttered on the cross, it is finished. The same thing they stamped on a paid invoice. Your debt, your sin debt is paid in full. Hallelujah. We can't add anything to that. Full is full. Amen. You can go and say, God, I want to pay some more. And he'll say, I can't doesn't matter. It's all fully paid, right? So we should be careful not to fall back into that yoke, the efforts of rules and laws. And at the same time, our heart does desire to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and watch the Lord work through us. Jesus says his yoke is easy. The yoke of the law, and Jews referred to it as a yoke, was hard. And very few, you know, Pharisees, uh, a group of people in the New Testament in Jesus' time, tried as hard as they could to keep the 613 laws. Almost to a person, they were wealthy because of all the sacrifices and the costs and the obligations and so forth. And they, there was never more than 7,000 of them in Israel who even tried to keep the law to 100%. And now it's literally impossible because there's no temple and the law requires sacrifice in the temple. It's placing, it's that rest in the Lord is a place of resting in him, not striving to keep commands, just finding he did it all. I'm in him and if there's work to be done, he will do it through me. 
you know, I was trying to think of analogy for this, and uh, imagine a soldier, he's trying to work his way up in the ranks, some of you have served in the military, suddenly one day he's elected president, right? He's commander and chief, and the responsibility is greater and the opportunities to serve are exponentially increased, would he then go back to his superior officer when he was a foot soldier and try to earn a promotion? No, of course not. Stand firm in Christ and his word and don't let someone intimidate you by telling you that you aren't obeying some command or, or method that you were under as a foot soldier. It's as simple as this, and this is verse 16 in this chapter. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's how simple it is. Walk in the spirit. Let the life of Christ flow through you and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You might stumble, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I met a Japanese man when I was in college in Phoenix, and we became very close friends. And we shared the Lord with him. He lived in our house for a while, and he went back to Japan. And when he went back to Japan, he finally trusted Christ as his savior. And he had applied for a job with the Sony Corporation. And there were hundreds of applications, and they were hiring half a dozen. So he was amazed that God answered our prayers, and he was one of those that were chosen. And at first, they sent him to all these, like Indonesia and all these third world countries to work for Sony. And it was one of those things where you just work day and night, seven days a week. And so he was kind of, well, he was a slave to the company. But then he slowly started working his way up. The, his superiors saw how, how diligent he was to do his job, and he moved up and moved up until he finally ended up working with the president of the Sony Corporation as the PR man for North America. He just retired a couple of years ago and has his own consulting business. But you think he's going to go back to that boss in Indonesia and say, what should I be doing? That's like us going back to the law, going back to the old rules of the law, of Moses' laws, and feeling guilty that we're not doing something that we used to do long ago. You are working for the president of creation. Amen? That's awesome. So stand firm in the freedom he has given you. Let him be in you all he created you to be. Verse two, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you cho choose works as a mean to please God, then Jesus' sacrificial death means nothing to you. Your works can't add to his death. Works don't remove sin. Choosing Jesus means you realize that you can't please God on your own or by obeying rules that and that you desperately need a savior, not another rule. Like Paul in Romans chapter seven, we can try on our own to please God. Before Paul really was transformed, before that time in, in, on the road to, uh, to Damascus, he was 
I mean, if there was a Jew, he was it. He even talks about that in one of his letters. He did everything he could. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He tried to obey every law. And those renegade Christians who are corrupting Judaism, my gosh, I'm going to take them to prison and see if I can kill some of them. That's how on fire he was for Judaism. But during that time, even though he's trying so hard to keep the law, in Romans chapter 7, he says, the more I try, the more I fail. The word says, don't covet. And then I covet. And I feel worse because I know I'm not supposed to covet. And so the law just keeps condemning me. You are, again, you're working for the president of creation who declares you perfect in his eyes. Hallelujah. Nor can we add to what Christ has done regarding salvation. His work on the cross was sufficient for salvation of all who come to him in faith. But it's meaningless to those who try to get there to try to please God by their own efforts, by their own goodness. It's being short-sighted of the holiness of God. I really believe this is one of the, probably one of the biggest reasons more people don't come to Christ. They don't realize how holy God is. That song that um, Jill sang, um, for Jews to think of going into the holy, holy of holies, they're like, no way. God will not put, tolerate sin. And if we understood what, that he's so righteous, he must be just. He must judge us if we won't accept that the payment was made by Christ. Why did Paul make such a big issue of this minor surgery called circumcision? That's what the, these Jewish Christians were telling the men to do. You've got to be circumcised to be a, a part of the kingdom of God. Because it was saying Jesus didn't do enough, and we need to add to his accomplishment on the cross. In other words, I can help God out. Ha! <laughs> what self-deception. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. If you go back to trying to keep the laws of God that God gave through Moses as a means of being right with God, then you've rejected the grace offered to you through Jesus' death on the cross. And then you have to keep every law. And that was only done by one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, you would be trying to live as righteous as Jesus. Yeah, I like to use the illustration, if, if uh, Jesus' righteousness is a line that goes from here to the moon, I'm about here. <laughs> but God still sees me as perfect because of his sacrifice. And he's moving me up millimeter at a time that's the process of sanctification he's revealing the things in me that I won't let go of and let him reign over in other words you would be trying to live as righteous as Jesus and if you should fall short in any way you fail and it puts you under a curse 
Why would anyone reject what Jesus has done for us? It's in him that we live and by the spirit of the law that's behind the law, not the letter of the law. Paul's three warnings in verses two to four couldn't be more severe. If you rely on the law to be right with God, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You're severed from Christ. You've fallen from grace. In other words, if you want to be circumcised and be justified by the law, you will find yourself separated from the salvation that's in Christ alone. Everyone must choose, and we can't ignore the choice. To not choose is to choose. You can try on your own to please God, which is really the way of religions, if most if not all, or you can trust in Christ and what he did for us and receive the grace alone through faith alone. Verse five, for through the spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. You see here again, he's waiting for it. He has it, you're perfected in Christ, but he's waiting for that righteousness to be revealed completely in his life. And 1 John 3, 2 tells us that happens when we see him as he is. We're gonna stand before Jesus when we pass from this life. And for those in Christ, it means the work will be finished. Hallelujah. We will be like him, he says. That is amazing. Then that's our hope. We're positionally righteous now, which means God counts us as righteous. But in our daily experience, we're waiting, we're expecting God to do what we cannot do by conforming us completely into the likeness of Jesus. And you know what? That's why heaven is so wonderful. Not just that you're like Jesus, but that everyone there is like Jesus. Think about that for a second. That everyone you meet, they got their personality, their own unique personality and history, but they're full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Amen? Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Here's Paul's conclusion of the matter. Circumcision or any law or ritual, for that matter, doesn't amount to anything at all. What counts for eternity is faith working through love. That's it. It's pretty simple, but it's deeply profound. Amen? Faith expresses itself through the love we have for God and for one another. In that, what is that what ultimately counts for you? Faith working through love. God is pleased with faith, Hebrews eleven six tells us, and the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Expressing faith is, the, is to express the love of God to our fellow man. This is why Jesus said it was the great commandment that takes the place of all the others. We don't work to be perfect and acceptable to God. We wait for him to finish what he started and what he alone can do. Final glorification in heaven is as free a gift as our initial justification. Hallelujah. I mean, what if you got there and, and you stood before God and he said, you know, you didn't do quite enough. 
you know, you didn't pray enough. You didn't witness enough. And I saw those five Sundays you weren't in church. <laughs> no, it's, it's as free a gift as our salvation. But faith can express itself in love through you now. And that's how we lay up our treasures in heaven. That's part of our eager expectation to be utterly righteous that we might kneel before the glorified Christ and lay our rewards at his feet. Are you living with that expectation as you go through your daily life? How different from the long-faced legalists striving to please God by their obedience to the law. Our joy is abundant, our posture is at rest, and our hope is certain. Hallelujah. When we stand before God, we won't care if, if we were a Jew or a Greek or circumcised or not circumcised, what church we attended. He won't ask you how many souls you witnessed to or how many times you read the Bible. Of course, you wanna do some of those things, but in the end, all that will matter is faith expressed in love. Love to him and love to others. That's the evidence that our faith is genuine. Many of the stories of, of life and death experiences, um, uh, Dr. Raymond Moody started this years ago, I think in the 80s, 70s or 80s, where they started ex, um, interviewing people who flatlined for, um, for minutes, you know, sometimes up to 20 minutes. And many of them tell of me coming through the tunnel, meeting this light, and the light asking them or showing them a replay of their life. And what stood out to them was times that they were selfish and times in which they were generous and showed love. Of course, they came back or we wouldn't know the story. Most of those people had a dramatic turnaround in their life because they realized what really mattered and how short this life is. All that counts for anything is faith working through love. Let us take a hold of that, amen? Amen? Yes. If that's all that really matters, you better say amen, right? This does not mean that we live as we did before we were born again. Verse 22 and 23 of this chapter describe the product of the Spirit in us, the work of faith through love, because God is love. The life of the Spirit in us will be expressed in love. Love expresses itself in generosity, in preferring others' needs above our own, in connecting others for their good, and in pointing others to Jesus the source of the love in us. When we realize the truth of this verse, we lay down our denominational elitism and our insistence on minor doctrines and our demands that ceremony be done one way or the other, and what you will see is a greater sense of unity, of brotherhood, for we're focused on the main thing. And when we can allow the differences to not disturb us or cause us to reject others who express Faith working through love. Instead of the word circumcision in this verse, you could put in any legalistic demand. The day we worship. Here's a few of them. The type of music. The time of the rapture. When and how the Holy Spirit fills a life. Whether or not one can lose their salvation. Or anything we so too often argue about. 
it's good for you to have an opinion, but to make that a separation of fellow believers whose faith works through love is missing the main point, the thing that matters, as Paul said. Calvinist, Armenian, Catholic, Baptist, free, pre, post, all that stuff. Either you have a relationship with him and he is your life, or you don't. That means either there's that connection by faith, that trust in him, and your faith has been demonstrated by your actions, or it hasn't. And that faith alone will decide whether you are on the right or on the left in the day of judgment because it's evidence of your relationship with Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter seven, when Jesus talks about that final day and the separating the sheep from the goats, the goat said, man, we did all kinds of things for you, Jesus. What do you mean go to the left? What do you, we cast out demons in your name. We, we gave a tenth of our goods. We did everything you wanted us to do. What? And he says, go away from me. I never knew you. They did the works, but without the relationship. They did it expecting that they were good enough. Verse seven, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. They were on track. They were growing in grace. They were demonstrating the fruits of the spirit. They were running the race as if they wanted to win. But then this outside influence came in and sowed this seed of doubt implying that works also were required to please God. Run well in the Christian race is not just to believe the truth, as if Christianity were nothing but orthodoxy, nor just to behave well, as if it were just moral uprightness, but to obey the truth, applying belief to behavior. And I would that add to that to the end run well to the finish. We all have seen the enthusiastic new believer's zeal. Perhaps we remember it in our own experience, but where is it now? Did we settle to slow down to a trot or a casual walk? What hindered us? I believe those who hindered these Galatians were Christian Jews who thought that they were helping the Gentile believers. You know, a lot of times those who have some false doctrine think they're helping, they're sincere, they really believe you need to do this or that, or you're not gonna make it. And we need to take them to the word of God. Did we settle for that slow trot or casual walk? What hindered us? I believe those who hindered that these Galatians were sincere, but in fact, they had sown doubt in the all-sufficiency of the work of Jesus on the cross. The Holy Spirit called the Galatians to faith in Jesus, and this doubt was sown not from him who called them. It was not conviction of the Holy Spirit, but rather the condemnation of man. The Judaizers told them, what? You're not obeying what Moses told us to do? Then you're not obeying God. What God asked of the nation of Israel was a standard of living that set them apart from the world with a unique culture blessed of God so that the world could see that their God was the true God. But it was only meant until the time that the Messiah came. 
whose sacrifice would open the way for the Holy Spirit to put the law in our hearts. That's what Jeremiah the prophet predicted in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33. He said that day would come. But when it came, they didn't receive it. Since he came, it's seen in the way in which we respond to everything that sets us apart and draws others to God. That's what the Judaizers couldn't understand. They relied on works, never realizing that they couldn't keep all the laws. They were like the rich young ruler who said with some doubt, all these things have I kept from my youth up. Oh, really? Then why are you asking how he can get into the kingdom of heaven? Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leaven through, almost entirely in scripture is related to sin. Here it's referring to the cross plus obedience to the law to please God. Paul's life shows us that it's fine for Jews to obey the law as long as they don't count on it for salvation. The false teaching of, of the need for the Gentile converts to be circumcised was spreading throughout the Gentile churches. And there are attempts today from Jewish believers uh, in Yeshua to have Gentiles obey the laws of the Sabbath. Um, it reminds me of when Mikael was with me. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's a wonderful Jewish man, born in Israel, came, uh, went to, after his time in the IDF, he traveled the world for three years. And when I met him here, um, I just knew. He had already accepted Christ and he needed to be discipled. And so I brought him into my home for three months and we got in the word and I taught him about all the prophecies. And it was, it was wonderful, but there was one thing he couldn't let go of. And it's okay. It was the Sabbath. And so I joined him. You know, I put the, the prayer shawl on and we had the candles and, and the different foods that you're supposed to eat on the Sabbath. And I would celebrate with him, but then I'd go to church on Sunday. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, but if you think it's saving you, you're in error. If you want to observe the Sabbath while realizing that it adds nothing to the work on the cross, that's fine, but it can send a mixed message to any Gentile who observes or hears of you religiously doing so. Do you understand? Sometimes we don't, we think, well, there's no harm in it, but if a young believer's watching you do this, they can end up thinking, oh, Christians gotta do that, or they're not gonna go to heaven. So you have to make it clear to them. Did Jesus save us because we tried hard to keep the law, or did he save us because he fulfilled the law for you and took your sins upon himself, giving you his righteousness? That means you're free to worship in spirit and in truth. In whatever manner the Holy Spirit leads you, whatever, wherever, or all the time, that is obeying the truth. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. This false teacher who sowed the doubt has to answer to God. And that's a warning for all who would teach in the church. We're accountable to God to teach only the truth of God, the truth of the word, the full counsel of God. Paul had confidence in the Lord that they would see the truth of what he was saying and abandon this false teaching that was hindering them from running the race. You know, sometimes uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse uh, 
I think it's one and two, it says to lay off every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. We're running a race. And if there's sin that's slowing us down, we need to cast it off. We're told to lay those extra weights aside and run with endurance. And the same is true with false teaching that gets us to slow our pace or even pull us out of bounds. We must escape their influence and live in freedom in the freedom of obedience to the Spirit. By referring to leaven, Paul was implying that they had to expel the Judaizer from their midst. You know, when Passover came, they swept all the leaven up in the entire house, made sure there was nothing there, and got rid of it, burned it. So when he talks about it being leaven, it was meaning, you need to get this false teacher out of your church. Sin in our lives, whether from internal or external, must be dealt with if we are to finish strong or even finish at all. Verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. If Paul would just add the law to the message of the cross and Jesus as Messiah, the Jews would leave him alone. They'd just figure it's another, the way is a branch of Judaism that was converting Gentiles. They'd probably enjoy it and like it. Rome would leave them alone because Judaism had a special um, right to worship their own God, unlike any of the other religions. Paul would save himself a lot of persecution if he would just compromise the message. And so would we. But we have to answer to God. Salvation in the cross alone humbles us by telling us we can't do it and we desperately need a savior. That message is often rejected by man because we are prideful. It invites persecution because it declares that without Jesus, we all are hopeless. And we don't want to hear that. The more we pursue Christ, the more the world will try to hinder us. Persecution is to be expected, but it invites the power of God to work through us. Only in his power can we run all out to the end. His grace is enough for us. We rest in his grace while giving ourselves completely to the race. It sounds contradictory, but Jesus' life shows us how to do it. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. In other words, stop trying to reproduce their doctrine that combines grace and works. Those who don't like Paul often point to this verse. They say, oh, look how harsh Paul is. Oh my gosh, who would say such a thing? It was his passion for the truth. It was his desire to see the church have the doctrine correct. correct. We should all have such passion to see the truth preserved that we're just as angry with teaching that leads people away from trusting in the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Amen.